0: Thank you, Dan. Good morning. I'll raise this up a little bit. Okay, so who here, come on, be honest, loves a good movie? Right? Come on, we all love movies. I love going to movies, and probably because when I was a girl, my dad would take me to go see the movies that my mom didn't wanna see, which were the loud action adventure movies. So I grew up loving going to guy movies with my dad, and I love the whole experience. I love going at night, I love, you know, under, trying to figure out the plot and what's going to happen halfway through, and then afterwards going to Applebee's with my dad and discussing what I thought about the characters and what really happened, and, and that, that just is not only sentimental for me, but something I still enjoy to this day. Now, the last movie I saw in the theater, and don't judge me, okay? It's been a while. (laughs) But the last movie I saw in the theater was Star Wars The Force Awakens, right? Anybody seen that? Okay, well, we actually um, saw it probably the last week it was in the theater because my husband had the great idea that on our date nights, um, each week, we were going to watch every single Star Wars in order before we saw the last one. That means that was seven weeks of nonstop Star Wars for me <laughs> every time we had our date night. But what was interesting is that I actually really enjoyed that, and especially maybe because I grew up watching three through five, right? Um, and then seeing the early ones, the first ones, later on. So it was kind of nice to see it actually in kind of chrono- chronological order, but it was also really nice to actually see the character development, right? Because when all you get is action scenes, it's really hard to gather, like, who are these people? And how are they related to one another? And that's probably why I like the most recent one so much. They're, um, they spend the beginning of that movie, most of the beginning of the movie, um, talking about this main character, Ray. She's the unsuspecting hero, right? And we get to see, like, this inside look at her current life. We see her struggle to survive, We see her skills, her kindness, her grit, and then she gets swept away into the plot, right? If not for that, we wouldn't be able to actually sympathize with her, right? We wouldn't be able to actually understand her or identify with her. It's hard to get to know a character when all you get are those really big scenes. We need those real-life moments so that we can identify with them, right? because that's what really impacts us. When we walk away, we're like, man, that was a good movie, because it felt real, right? What we're currently doing right now is we're in a series in Acts, right, the book of Acts, and it's called The Church in Motion. And I love that title because it's really, it's really accurate for the book of Acts. Because as Michael said last week, every single chapter is just jam-packed with another action scene. And so it's like a really good action movie. It can be hard, though, honestly, for me, of looking at each of these chapters, because even with the cultural differences, it's hard to get to know these characters, right? And tonight, we're going to be looking at a scene, a really dramatic scene, and it's about one character, Stephen, in the last hours of his life on this earth. And though I've grown up hearing about the story of Stephen, which some of us have, he was the first martyr killed for, the, for his faith in Jesus, until i really started to to study and unpack this passage i don't think i really knew who stephen was honestly maybe even my influence in art i remember seeing depicted pictures of stephen and he's always look he always looks so serene and so meek and he's you know his eyes are up to heaven as people are stoning him and if you know the story that's the picture i get in my mind but as i unpack this passage and as we'll see today that's not who Stephen really was. And we'll see who Stephen Stephen really is by what he said, by what he saw, and by what he did. And I think that'll give us an actually really good picture of who he is, this unknown character, and how he could have so much impact on the lives of those in this story, but also in our lives today. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for just bringing your Holy Spirit with such power this morning. More, Lord. Just bring more. God, we recognize we need you more than we even know. And I pray you would come with power. You would anoint these, these words, that they would speak to our hearts, God. That you would speak to us. That we wouldn't just let our minds wander today, but that we would be aware of and open to your voice in our life. Would you bring your comfort? Would you bring your encouragement? We just give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and open them up to chapter six in Acts. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back um, here. Feel free to grab one. So we're starting in Acts verse eight all the way through chapter seven, all the way through chapter seven, and stopping at the beginning of chapter eight. Last week, Michael introduced Stephen in the beginning of chapter 6. Stephen and six other men had been chosen to be in charge of the daily distribution of food to the poor widows. He's actually mentioned here as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And so we pick up in verse 8 today. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they couldn't stand up to against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized stephen and brought him before the sanhedrin they produced false witnesses who testified this man never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law for we have heard him say that jesus of nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs moses handed down to us all who were sitting in the sanhedrin looked intently at stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So first off, I want to highlight something about Stephen, a main characteristic of why we see that he's full of the Spirit. We see that Stephen is faithful, and he's faithful with little, and then he's given more. He's actually not going rogue here. He's actually not, you know, just... Um, abandoning his post in the kitchen, right? He, and, and just deciding, you know what? I'm a very important person. I'm going to hang out in the synagogues. No. He's using that same heart for the poor widows, and he's just extending that to the, to the rest of the people, to the hurting. And what they say here is, and what it says here is, he performed great signs and wonders. He's just engaging more. And he's saying yes to the Holy Spirit's leading. He's willing to keep showing up and to address the needs of the people. And we see it makes some waves, right? Well, God has been using a friend of mine in my small group, and he prayed for a woman a while back for her knees. She had incredible arthritis in her knees, and she had for years, and she was completely healed right here in this church. And ever since then, what do you think it did? It gave him courage. It gave him boldness to start asking more people, hey, do you want me to pray for you? Like, because God heals. (laughs) And so he started just stepping out more. And when people would talk about, well, yeah, I have this pain or I have this thing in my life, he'd be like, hey, can I pray for you? And what's really sweet is that time after time, people walked away healed. Now, no one would know this guy, right? But his faithfulness is having such a sweet impact in the kingdom of God. Now, as we've talked about recently and and in the past, when you're faithful and you're willing to step out like that, there's opposition, right? The enemy hates it. I mean, he hates it to see people freed. And he hates when the truth is spoken. So Stephen gets some serious pushback from the members of the synagogue, and then he's arrested, right? So in chapter 7, beginning of chapter 7, this is where the story starts to really unfold. Stephen stands accused, and the accusation is that he's speaking against the temple and he's speaking against the law. So the high priest asks him, are these charges true? And he begins his speech, and it is the longest speech in the book of Acts, as you'll see, over 50 verses long. So I'm going to read every single verse. No, I'm going to summarize it today. (laughs) But definitely take some time to read it, because this is a really important speech. It's really important to see what Stephen says here in the face of these accusations. So when somebody accuses you of something, what's your first gut reaction? We defend ourselves, don't we? Right? That's just our gut reaction. I mean, heaven forbid somebody misunderstand us, right? (laughs) We're so quick to say, "Uh uh-uh, no, that's not what I meant. And this we're just real quick to make sure that people know that this is who we are. And this is interesting about Stephen because he's not even worried about that. What I realized here is that he's speaking not so that they understand him, but that they understand the truth. He's doing it actually for them and for their sake. Now this is interesting. Why would Stephen waste his breath and his very life on the bunch of guys who just killed Jesus months before? Why would he do this? Such a long speech. Because I think that's the heart of God, right? That's the heart of God. No one is too far gone to be saved. God's giving them another chance to repent. So he begins his speech appealing to them first as brothers and fathers. These guys are persecuting him, they've arrested him, and he's saying, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. There is no hint of pride. There's no hint of selfishness or superiority in his tone. He's not like, you know what, I know better. Therefore, let me impart to you my wisdom. <laughs> he's, hum- he's humble here. He's really humble. And he's not saying, you know what, my understanding, the truth, you know, like the truth and my understanding, it's just evolved over time. And I just have a better handle on this than you. Let me tell you what I know. He's not saying, you guys, come on, like you're old, you're out of touch, you're irrelevant. Let me just catch you up here with what's really going on. This is not his tone at all. And can I just say this as a side note? To those of us that are young and so-called relevant, and I'm talking to myself, just because you're young and relevant doesn't mean you have a better handle on the truth, okay? Oh, and in my best Jack Nicholson voice, let me say it like this. You can't handle the truth, okay? You may know how to deliver the word in a more relevant way to your generation, but the truth does not change. God designed the word of God and the truth to handle you, not for you to handle the truth, okay? There's a big difference there. I think we need to approach the word with humility, right? With humility, recognizing that each of us, we have massive blind spots, okay? We don't have it all. Only God, only God sees the whole truth, okay? Only God So when we speak with authority even, when we speak the truth in love, remember, we don't see it all. We don't see it all. Only God knows all the truth. So what Stephen knows, he knows that he's just this ordinary guy. I mean, he's a nobody. How are these guys going to listen to the truth that he has to give them? I mean, he really has a heart for them to receive what he's about to say. He has no credentials. He has no formal teaching, right? formal training to teach but that does not stop him it doesn't stop him he appeals to them not based on his own understanding he appeals to them in the best way through their own history and their own scriptures so that they can hear him it's really creative so the two accusations are this are you speaking against the temple big no-no right And are you speaking against the law? These are the two things that defined the Jewish people. Big deal. So he goes through the history of Israel, and he says this. No, we don't need the temple to meet God. And and to prove his point, he says this. Abraham, okay, remember Abraham? Yeah, everyone remembers Abraham. Abraham met God, and he didn't have the temple. God was with Joseph in Egypt, He didn't have the temple. God met Moses out in the wilderness in a burning bush, and he didn't have the temple. And then he quotes Isaiah 66, even after the temple is built. He says, God does not dwell in a house made with hands. God is not confined to our man-made things. And man, is this an important point. Man, one of the biggest temptations for us, especially as Christians, It's to try to use the Bible and try to use God to serve our own agendas and our own causes and, heaven forbid, our own political parties. (laughs) God does not fit inside of our boxes, right? His ways are so much higher than our ways. So much higher than our ways. So then he turns to the law, and he again uses their own history to make his claim. First he says, under Moses you didn't obey the law. And under Aaron, you didn't obey the law. And under Amos, you didn't obey the law. Look, Stephen says, it is really important to have the law. I believe in the law. It's invaluable. But the problem is, you never obeyed it. Right? You never obeyed, and you never will. You never will. So if we're saved by obeying the law, then we've got a problem. We've got a big problem. And then what's interesting is that he brings up a third point, something else that he sees as a trend in the history of Israel, and it's something he wasn't even asked about. He wasn't accused about this, but he brings it up. And in many ways, this is the key to everything else he says. He says, I've noticed a pattern in the history of our people that every time that God sends a deliverer, He's rejected and he's persecuted by the very people that he was sent to save. So he says, look at Joseph. Joseph was appointed by God to save his family, and yet he was sold into slavery by the very family he was sent to save. Sold into slavery into Egypt. Moses was appointed to deliver his people and take them out of Egypt. But when he first steps out and takes a risk and asserts himself, he totally gets rejected. He ends up fleeing for his life into the wilderness. And later on, David, King David, is appointed to be the true king to lead his people. And yet for big parts of his life, right, he's running for his life. He's out in the wilderness, a fugitive. Every single time God sends a prophet, or sends a deliverer, or heaven forbid, sends a savior, the person is rejected, and the person is persecuted. So he brings it together at the end of chapter 7, in verses 51 through 53, and he actually turns the tables on the Sanhedrin, and he actually accuses them. This is not the gentle Stephen I remember in my Sunday school classes. This is a bold Stephen, and this is what he says. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors who always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but you haven't obeyed it. I mean, man, these are some fighting words. <laughs> these are some fighting words. And the picture of being stiff-necked is taken from farming animals. You know, the yoke that would be put across two, two uh, oxen. Well, stiffening their necks was, was when the ox would actually stiffen their necks so much that they couldn't actually get the yoke on. And so for the Israelites, it's meant that they refused to submit to and surrender to the covenant that God had given them. Now, before we cast the first stone, and no pun intended here, <laughs> we should hear what Stephen's saying here. Because are there any major areas of our lives that we're stiffening our next to God? We're refusing to surrender to him. God might be trying to speak to you regarding your money, Maybe your purchasing habits or the fact that you're running up debt. And yet you refuse to surrender your shopping to God. Maybe God's speaking to you about a relationship that's unhealthy, that's out of bounds for you. But you keep saying, no, 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 I'm going to keep that relationship. Maybe God's been speaking to you about your attitude. Oh, and I can agree to this one towards your husband or your wife. <laughs> The unforgiveness, the bitterness, the holding of a grudge. Is there any place where we've stiffened our necks to God? Then Stephen accuses them of a second thing. He says that they're uncircumcised in heart. What does this mean? Circumcision, of course, was a sign that God had given to the Jewish people to distinguish them from other nations, a physical sign, To be uncircumcised meant that you were no different than the rest of the world. Your attitudes, your actions are just like everybody else. There's nothing different about you and God wants a people that will stand out, right? He wants salt and he wants light in this dark world. And when we refuse to obey God, when we choose to just resist him and we're still doing all the religious things, we just end up looking like everybody else. And let me say this, it's really hard to have a good witness when you look like everybody else, and I know that. I work in the world. (laughs) Man, it's hard to stand up, stand up and do the right thing. So what makes Stephen so impactful? It's not just what he says, but it's also what he sees. And this is just so sweet. So let's read um, Acts 7, 54 through 60. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I wonder what that sounded like. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. We see Stephen turning his eyes to heaven, and then he sees something. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God in the throne room, which the throne room in that day was also the courtroom. And this is important. What is Jesus doing There are many places in the Bible where it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, right? We've all, especially, I mean, once he, uh, once he died, he resurrected, and he rose again, his work was done, right? That's why he sits. It is finished. But not here. This is one of the only times where he's standing. Anyone who stands in a courtroom is doing what? What? He's defending, and he's making an appeal. He is Stephen's advocate. F.F. Bruce, a great commentator on the book of Acts, says, While Stephen was confessing Christ before men, he sees Christ confessing Stephen before God. Can I say this? When no one else sees your faithfulness, Jesus sees you. When no one is there to defend you, Jesus is defending you, okay? When no one else sees the cost that it is on your life to do what it is you do, with a faithful heart, Jesus sees you, and he stands. He stands, and he looks at you, and he says, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus sees the moms, the moms, who faithfully work and love and clean up after our loving, wonderful kids. And he sees those who choose not to gossip, even though they really, really wanna just engage in that conversation. He also sees the ones who are just being honest at work. Though no one else is being honest, you are honest. And for those that serve in the church, he show, that just keeps showing up every week, faithful. No matter how little recognition you get, Jesus sees you, and he's standing up for you. In Matthew 6, numerous times it says, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And in Exodus 14, 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Oh, I love that one. Remember, and I don't remember this enough, but remember there is a heavenly courtroom. Praise God, because he sees and he knows all. One day, all the bad things in this world will be made right. Amen? Everything will be brought out into the light, and all will be understood and accounted for. Ha, everything. And that is a huge comfort, right? Because there is hope for this broken world. There's hope. While Stephen is standing in this earthly courtroom, I mean, just think about the the commotion of these guys yelling and screaming. I mean, the Sanhedrin was like 60-plus guys. I mean, they're yelling and screaming at him, and yet he sees the heavenly courtroom, the real reality, double, double word here, real reality of the heavenly courtroom where Jesus is commending him. And I think that's why he could face what he faced. He didn't just know that he was commended by Jesus in his head, he actually got a gift, he got to see it. He got to see it. And to the, the, to the degree that we see and know and really experientially understand that we are loved, that we are honored, that we are defended by our God, I think, I think we can handle anything Jim Elliott, the uh, martyr and the missionary to the Alca Indians in Ecuador, has a famous quote. He says, he is no fool who can give what he can't keep to gain what he cannot lose. We trust that God keeps account, that he sees, and that's what matters. That's what matters. Not the approval of man, but the approval of God. So we see what stephen says here we see what what stephen saw here now let's see what stephen did what did he actually accomplish when stephen says look and says the very name of god out loud and says he sees the very glory of god in the throne room the council is outraged i mean they are pissed because this really is the tipping point this is the tipping point how dare he, how dare he, this nobody, say that he can see God? Because that was their right. They were the religious elite. How dare this ordinary man be so bold to say that he can see and know God? And they are just, they're just outraged. And interesting enough, there's no formal sentencing here. Literally the mob just goes nuts and they drag him out of the city, just like Jesus, and they stone him. Stephen didn't have a very long life, and he didn't have a very long ministry. This might have been one of his only sermons, yet he had incredible impact in the kingdom of God. Why? Why? To answer this, I want to ask another question. It might seem out of the blue, but it's important. Why is this such a long speech? This is a long speech. Where would Luke have gotten this account? Because Luke actually says, he makes note of this in the book of Luke. In the very beginning, he wrote both Luke and Acts. And he said he was very careful to put down everything he knew through eyewitnesses. And the text actually tells us who was there. It was a young man named Saul. And later, we get to know him as Paul, the Apostle Paul, the church planner. He was actually part of the execution squad. He was standing so close. I mean, he was the one actually holding everybody's jacket so they could throw stones at Stephen. He could hear everything Stephen could say. He actually says, the text says, he actually gave approval to his death. So the only actual possible source for this incredible speech is if Paul remembered it. That's a long speech to remember. It must have sunk really deep into his heart. I think one of the ways that we actually know that it impacted Paul as much as it did is theologians have said this numerous times, that we actually owe a lot to to Stephen's speech because Paul's theology is actually a real mirror picture of the speech of Stephen. It's just developed with incredible power. And that, I mean, think about Paul's writings. I mean, that changed the course of the world. (coughs) Not even the church plants, right? So this event changes Paul. And not immediately, as we see in the following weeks, but it does have lasting impact. But it wasn't just what Stephen said in his speech that really impacted Paul, and this is really important to see. It's also how Paul suffered, right? It's how he suffered. Paul had never seen anybody die like this. He, he never saw anyone suffer with such, such kindness, such peace, such gentleness of heart. Even when Stephen was on trial for his life, his face was the face of an angel. The Holy Spirit was just pouring out of him. He wasn't scowling. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't mad. He wasn't even trembling. He was incredibly bold as he talked to the people who had this power and desire to kill him. And he wasn't afraid to tell them the truth, and yet he had no ill will for these people. No resentment. Because we see, as they're killing him in the moment of Stephen's greatest pain, I can't tell you how of a hard death stoning is. I mean, it's really brutal. He cries out not for himself. He cries out for them, for the people killing him. St. Augustine actually says the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. <clears throat> Lord, do not hold this sin against him is what he says. And look at how that prayer is answered in Paul. This kind of life is a life that changes the world Stephen is an unknown and ordinary character, not qualified by, by the religious elite. But numerous times the text says he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is so obvious, right? We see the fruit everywhere in this story. He's faithful, right? He defends the truth. He endures pain without resentment. The key is that it actually really matters what we're filled with. It really matters what we're filled with. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, and 16 through 18, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, and on not what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is temporary, since that's temporary, and what is unseen is is eternal. So what are we fixing our eyes on? What are we filling our lives with? Now I'll say this. This is a real subconscious thing, but put some words to this. Our culture is always telling us what to live for. And it's always telling us what we need to fill our lives with. It's telling us that the meaning of our life, the culture is constantly telling us, that the meaning of our life is to find our own happiness and our own freedom on our own terms, right? It's a morality of self, the morality of self. And it is preached everywhere in our culture today, okay? It's preached everywhere. You're just even thinking about it, you'll see it. You'll see it in entertainment. You'll see it in the news. You'll see it everywhere. But what's scary is that when your life is built on your own happiness and your own freedom, when suffering comes, what happens? Your identity, your peace is washed away. It's washed away. And the meaning of your life is just destroyed because you ain't happy. (laughs) You're going through something you don't want to go through. It's only when we build our lives on the rock, right? when we build our lives on Jesus, that we can seriously face anything, anything, and still be standing, right? And still be standing. That's how we make an impact in the kingdom of God. It says we're just jars of clay. We're just terracotta pots, right? With some cracks, but we're filled with something amazing. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. God can take us farther And he can make us fuller than any personal attempts at riches and fame and glory and romantic love could ever touch. They're just empty wells that we try to dig for ourselves to find that happiness, right? But it doesn't satisfy our souls. There's only one thing that we are created for that can satisfy our souls, and it is the love of God. It is the love of God. It is more real than anything that we can see in this earthly world. It is so much more real. The fullness that he promises is for everybody. Jim Elliott, the missionary, also said, I seek not a long life, but a full one, just like you, Lord Jesus. God uses Stephen not only to impact Paul, but he also uses his death, and this is important to see, to impact the church. And I'll finish with this. We see in Acts 8, the beginning of Acts 8, verse 1 and 2, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and except for the apostles, everyone was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Anybody here for our Go series? What did Jesus always say? He said, my gospel is not just for the Jews. It is for all people. But they hadn't left yet. They're still all hanging out in Jerusalem. And look how how God uses Stephen's life and the persecution that comes to push them out. Stephen's death leads to the growth of God's kingdom and the gospel for all people and all nations. Revelation 2:10 says this, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And this is so cool. The Greek word for victor's crown in this verse is Stephanos, and that's where we get the name Stephen. Seriously, how cool is that? So what should our response be? Okay, what should our response be to this? I really think that it's just our willingness to say yes to the Holy Spirit because I really believe that's all it takes. Willingness to set aside our will, even just for a little bit, to say, okay, God, to take that one step toward Jesus, to take that one step onto the field. Jesus is knocking at the door of our heart. And we read this in our small group last week in Revelation. To the church in Laodicea, he's knocking on their heart. And interesting, it's not for the people that don't know him. He's knocking on the heart of his church. He's knocking on our hearts. And he's saying, will you open the door? That's it. Just take one step toward me and let me show you what I can do with that. Watch me. Watch me. I'm going to end with a a funny story, why not, of what God can do when you say yes to him. When you open the door just a little bit, you say, okay, God, I'm willing, I'm willing. So a friend of mine, one of my my, my dear friends, a long time ago, I was having a conversation with her, and out of the blue, she says, okay, okay, I just need to tell you this. I'm like, what? What? And she's kind of serious tone. She says, Okay, Heather, I really think that you and Adam would be a really good couple. And I laughed. (laughs) I was like, What? Adam Kimura? I'm like, What? No, he's my brother. That's so weird. Um, I just laughed. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. And she's like, No, seriously. Like, I really actually think you guys would make a really great couple. I just slipped at I'm like, are you kidding me? And in my head, I'm thinking, that guy is way too cute. He'd never thinks that I was, I was, I was uh, good enough for him. But, but as, I, as I went throughout the rest of that night, we were hanging out, she kept dogging me. And she kept saying, Heather, no, I'm serious. Like, will you at least pray about it? I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to make me pray about this? And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to let it go until you pray about this. I'm like, oh my gosh, and if you know this person, she is not a pushy person, so whenever she's pushy, I pay attention, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll pray about this if you leave me alone, <clears throat> and so I did, really, like all I did was on the way home, I'm like, okay God, if this is you, just let me know, <laughs> that's like all I did. What was really interesting is that that week, in my time with the Lord, he was bringing up all this stuff. I mean, past relationships, deep insecurities. I mean, it was a rough week. I'm like, where did this come from? Like, all this stuff. I actually didn't go to small group that week because I was just really having a hard week. And what was interesting is that night I got a voicemail. It was from Adam Kamura. And I'm like, oh, he's so sweet. He's such a faithful brother. He always always would call people if they didn't show up to group. Just say, hey, are you doing okay? Are you cool? And I listened to the voicemail, and that's not what it said. He asked me out. He said, hey, Heather, I really had fun bumping into you the other day. You want to go hang out again on Friday night? I dropped the phone, and I started to laugh. I said, you've got to be kidding me, God. You have got to be kidding me. And while the uh, rest is history, right? Eight years now, we've been married, and we have a little girl, Eden. But I love that story because God can use, man, such a smallest, half-hearted little, okay, God, sure. I'll pray about it. Okay, God, yes, I'll take one step. That's all I got. That is all I've got right now. I don't have anything else, but yes, I can say yes to you in this one thing, in this one way. I'll take one step towards you. And I think that pleases the heart of God. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 in the Message Version says this, Going through the motions, it doesn't please you. A flawless performance doesn't please you. I learned God-worship. When my pride was shattered, humbled lives ready and willing for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. Great verse. Let's go ahead and stand. So the Lord um, has some burdens that he wants to, to take off our shoulders today. And it's funny because all three words that I have... Uh, all kind of the same theme. I think he's really inviting us today to just lay some things at his feet, to lay some things at his feet, because he does not want to see you guys burdened, and he does not want to see you guys at all have the freedom that he has available for you. So the first one was actually this morning as I was getting ready, the Lord brought this song to mind. And whenever the Lord brings something to mind that I, I, let's just say this, I have a horrible memory. So when the Lord brings something to mind, I'm like, whoa, I haven't thought about that in ages. So I want to read something to you. And it's the, the words to a song. And I, I felt like this was for some, like maybe just even one or two people here. And so I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I just want to speak this over you. Is that Okay. I'll just speak this over you. Um, The Lord sees you, okay? The Lord really sees you. He's saying this. I want you as you are, not as you ought to be. Won't you lay down your guard and just come to me? The shame that grips you now is crippling. It breaks my heart to see your suffering Because I am for you, I am not against you. And if you want to know how far my love can go, just ask me. How wide and how deep? If you want to see how much you mean to me, just look at my hands and look at my side. If you can count the times that I say that you are forgiven, it's more than the drops in the ocean. Receive the word of the Lord. <laughs> the second one is, is also just for specifically those of you that feel unseen. For those of you that feel unseen, and, and our, like Danny said, our church does an amazing job at serving one another. Faithfully volunteering, taking your time, and Jesus knows the cost that it takes to serve the body faithfully, to serve him. And I feel like today, There's some of us that just, we're longing for some of that recognition. But can I say this? No human recognition will ever fill that ache in your soul. It's only going to be when you see the face of God, when you see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, commending you. That's what we live for. Not the approval of men, but the approval of God. So for those of you that feel like, you know what, I just need filled today. I need to see that God approves of me. I need to hear today that I am faithful, that I am that good and faithful servant. I need to hear it from my God today. I need refilled today. I would would invite you to come forward. Come forward and receive from the Lord. And then the third one was um, specifically for those of you, and I felt like it was um, a word that God gave me this last week, but specifically for those of you that have been looking at the world and just feel really overwhelmed whether you look at our political state or, or just what's been going on. I mean, I even heard of a shooting last night in Florida where, where multiple people were killed. When you look at the world, you just feel burdened. You feel burdened. And, and I got this picture last week, and it was for myself, but it, it definitely is for you today. Um, two bulls, right, with the yoke. Okay, they had that yoke across there. And one was Jesus, I think, and one was definitely me. And I was a smaller bull smaller ox and I was I was standing up standing up on my hind legs and the yoke was just strangling me because it's anchored to Jesus and I'm standing there and I'm like this world just sucks I just I just my life is so hard and I don't know what to do and I'm just overwhelmed just overwhelmed and the Lord just said Heather not only is this a ridiculous picture but just just submit to me because my yoke is not heavy hear this. My, my yoke is not heavy. It is for your rest. It is light for your rest. Why is that? It's because God is so much bigger. God is so much bigger than what's going on in our world today, and he has got this. His ways are higher than our ways. Remember this, and for those of you that just have that burden, you have that burden when you look at the world. Lay that down today. Just come and lay that down at the feet of Jesus. Say, God, you are bigger. You are bigger than what's going on in my life. You are bigger than what's going on in this world. And I give this to you because you want me to live free. You don't want me to live with this heavy yoke strangling me as I walk through my life. Give me joy, God. Give me joy. So come, just come up and and receive from the Lord. And those of you that are um, willing to pray, come alongside of people today and just bless them Bless what God is doing, because this is between them and them and the Lord, right? So as Sarah plays um, our last song, uh, we'll just have some time to, to pray for one another. So go ahead and start coming forward. Those of you that feel like, you know what, this world is really burdening me. I'm overwhelmed. For those of you that feel unseen, and you need to be seen by your Father today. And then for those of you that, you know what, shame has just been really crippling you. Come, just have some time to meet with God at the front here today and surrender that to Him.
1: Make sure, let's make sure everybody that comes forward for prayer has someone praying for him. The presence of God is here and God wants to touch you. God wants to just deposit things within your heart. Come on forward. There's nothing worth more come close nothing can compare you're a living home your presence Lord have tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves When my heart becomes free And my shame is undone In your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Because your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your presence. Tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. this place and fill the atmosphere, cause your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord and Holy Spirit, you are come flood this place and fill the atmosphere cause your glory God is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence
0: I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer for those of you that are still getting prayer continue mm, heavenly father thank you that that you see us god that mm, that you long to envelop us in your acceptance and in your approval help us to lay down the things that that stop us from engaging with you that stop us from from being willing to say yes to you. Help us to lay those down and to trust that you are so good, so good, and you only want the very best for us. And I speak, I just speak blessing over everyone here in Jesus' name, a blessing on your life, that you would have joy as you you leave these doors today, that you would be encouraged, that God is with you and he sees you, that you are not alone. Heavenly Father, go with us today. We praise you. We praise you for this this moment to get to just be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon. Bless you guys.